This is Pathways. I'm Randy Brutkowitz, and today we're talking with Dr. Adriana Bankston, who's the new Principal Legislative Analyst for the University of California's Office of Federal Governmental Relations. She's also a Vice President for the Future of Research and Director of Communications and Outreach for the Journal of Science Policy and Governance. Dr. Bankston received her PhD in biochemistry, cell, and molecular biology from Emory University with Dr. Grace Pavlov, where she studied the regulation of myoblast fusion by creatine kinase B and its interacting partners. From there, she did a three-year postdoc at the University of Louisville, studying mechanisms of myogenesis and EGFR signaling. She was active in the University of Louisville's Postdoctoral Studies Committee and Community Outreach in Kentucky, as well as nationally, which includes leadership in advancing women in science. I had learned of her interests and opinions in her many articles in Inside Higher Ed's Carpe Careers blog, where she talks about career issues and also education and research policy. How did Dr. Bankston go from studying myogenesis to achieving national prominence in advancing science policy? Well, let's find out. Adriana, welcome to Pathways. Thank you for having me on here. A pleasure. I guess for me, as I think about this, because you know, a number of our guests are came here to the United States for the first time, and either with their folks or they came for their education and they stayed here. And obviously I know that, that you come from Romania. Could you tell us your story about how you came to the United States and maybe a little bit about how you ended up at Emory University? Sure. Um, so I moved to the States from Romania after high school with my dad. And um, essentially, so my parents are both scientists as well. So we came here and um, he was working for a company in Atlanta. And then um, my mom came a couple of years later and they both started, uh, they're both faculty at Clemson. So I went to college there and then um, sort of stayed in the Southeast to go to graduate school as well. Um, I, I was sort of for a long time on the academic path, partly because I grew up around science and also it was intellectually challenging and it seemed like a really good fit for me for many reasons. Um, in between college and grad school, um, I took a year off and worked as a tech at Emory to sort of solidify, make sure that I was really interested in, in lab work, and then ended up going to um, Dr. Pavlov um, to her lab at Emory, which was a great um, experience for from the perspective of being in a really great um, academic environment and also having a really good mentor, which I think has played a, a large role in sort of uh, my professional development from that point on. What, what were your parents' scientific uh, interests? Um, so they actually, they study heart disease, uh, my sort of from different aspects. So my um, dad's group is more sort of bioengineering, looking at essentially how the heart beating happens and sort of the fluids that go through the heart, which you can simulate in a bioreactor. And my mom's research is more um, sort of on the basic side of how to actually regenerate the heart tissue. 
um, using stem cells on different surfaces that you can implant into rats. Um, so the whole idea is to try to rege either regenerate the tissue itself um, or to make sure that when you do a heart transplant, it doesn't get rejected by the body, by the immune system. So that's another, another part of that. So it's very um, sort of translational, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of explains at least one reason behind your interest in myogenesis, perhaps. So my, actually my choice to pick um, the Palbath lab came from, um, so I was always interested in sort of biochemistry and cell biology. I actually joined a different lab when I first got to Emory and then realized that I wasn't challenged enough. And so it was also a muscle lab, but it was a different angle. And then um, I ended up switching to her lab actually after one year because I knew that she had the reputation of being a good mentor and sort of training people for being successful afterwards. And so I took the kind of the harder um, path to pick a lab that was, um, that was going to challenge me and teach me what I needed to know. And that, that was a good decision. You were in this lab, in Dr. Pavlov's lab at, at Emory. And I, sus I, I get the sense that you said you're very academically leaning at the time and you did your PhD there, and then you did a po started a postdoc at the University of Kentucky. When did you start to think, well, maybe I won't be a person in academia, I may not be a professor. I may decide to go down the road somewhere else. Yeah, it was during my postdoc. Um, so I think during my PhD, because I had such a good, good mentor and, you know, it was a great um, sort of academic environment that I was still thinking that, okay, academia sounds like a good idea. Um, I went to University of Louisville to learn imaging and some other techniques that I wasn't, didn't really do in my PhD, thinking that I would start my lab and sort of trying to have a well-rounded training. And then that ended up being obviously pretty big transition moving from Atlanta to Louisville. And um, essentially what happened was in a, about probably six months into it, I realized that I sort of started thinking what other things could I be doing with my PhD and um, realizing that being there, there were not a lot of resources for postdocs. And so that was a blessing and a curse at the same time because I was trying to figure out my career path and um, not having the resource for it uh, because I was at a university that didn't have as, ma as many, I think, financial resources and really not a very well-developed sort of um, postdoc um, program. So um, I ended up essentially starting a seminar series to bring in speakers to talk to postdocs about careers um, together with another postdoc. And it was essentially just bringing um, initially alumni from the university and then sort of grew into a bigger program um, to where you could really see that you were, you know, we're making a difference in the local community that postdocs now had essentially an event to go to every month and learn about a different career and, you know, over pizza. And um, that, I think, that's, first of all, obviously open the, the sort of the door for different careers that I could go into and was able to make connections that way and meet people there in different areas. But at the same time, um, it got me really interested in the aspect of training and also, you know, coming sort of comparing between the two institutions that I was that I was at, um, being able to sort of realizing that postdocs in this part of the country also needed resources and that sort of 
from there grew into kind of a, a national interest of how are we training the workforce today and what do young scientists do because I think this generation is very different from uh, you know even maybe 10 years ago when less people are staying in academia and the system isn't really training them for other things. Um, so that's really sort of where my whole journey started because um, I was in a place that didn't have the resource and then you know, creating this resource sort of opened up everything else that I, ha that I did after that. Let's talk about what you did after that. <clears throat> so for example, so you're, you're in a postdoc, University of Louisville, you are working with the postdocs, you're bringing in speakers to talk about non-academic careers from alumni there and others and trying to trying to expand it to a national I guess impact so what so what'd you do next what was your next step really to, to put you on your path to where you're at today um, <clears throat> so because I was interested in sort of improving the postdoc environment. I started getting involved with organizations that were doing that at the national level, realizing that um, the pro problems that postdocs were having were not limited to the university where I was. And so I really wanted to learn more about what do these things look like at the national level. Um, so I started um, sort of gradually going from this local resource to organizing a regional symposium to then getting involved with the National Postdoctoral Association and the Graduate Career Consortium, both of which are sort of thinking about this question of training postdocs and students at the sort of larger level across institutions. And that became really an interesting um, sort of research question for me is how, you know, how do how does the training differ depending on where you are in terms of the institution? Obviously, by that point, I had been at Emory and U of L, which are two different, really different types of schools. And um, so, I basically left my postdoc um, in 2016, realizing that this is really what my interest was, and not really knowing what to do with it or how to make this a career at that point. Um, so I ended up working for a small nonprofit called Future Research, um, which essentially seeks to empower early career scientists to sort of think about academic questions and, you know, voice different concerns that they had about the system itself. And so um, what, what I did with them is um, we essentially ended up um, looking at doing essentially a national study looking at postdoc salaries across institutions in response to um, federal labor law. And that was really, a, you know, it was a really interesting research project um, that um, sort of intersected between policy and the academic world. Um, and this was all, um, you know, it was, a, it was actually a volunteer project, but because I was already so interested in this, um, this topic, and we didn't really honestly know how it would go, but um, it ended up being a really big project for us that the organization is well known for now, and we're still presenting this data at conferences. So I think it really sort of became a, a very interesting national project that we didn't anticipate. But it was, um, you know, it was along the lines of this question of what's sort of what's happening nationally with institutions, um, how are we training people, and of course, you know, 
Um, the idea of paying postdocs is, isn't something that people talk about, but it's a really big barrier to some people to stay in science because they can't afford to do it. Um, <clears throat> so I think really future of research was really sort of the kind of a defining moment that this was really an area that I was interested in and still looking to, to now think about how we can influence the research enterprise um, and you know sort of how does the policy play in, in there. Um, and then so once realizing that I um, basically applied for a bunch of different policy positions in DC and ended up um, doing a fellowship in policy and advocacy <clears throat> with the Society for Neuroscience. And um, that really gave me a perspective of how does you know, how does the society look at um, these questions of advocating for biomedical research? And they also have a very strong component of training. Uh, and I know you've talked to um, Sylvia Raver, who does some of that work. Um, and it's really inspiring to see how, how they think about um, training neuros young neuroscientists. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, so then I sort of leveraged that, I suppose, into my current job at the University of California. Uh, where <clears throat> it's which is a really interesting um, it's a really interesting position because we are essentially trying to position the UC campuses for opportunities that are happening federally and um, it brings a lot of my background into it I think um, sort of the research background but also my interest in institutional policy and sort of campus issues and national um, issues around that. So uh, I know that was a long-winded answer, but um, hopefully it gives you a good idea of kind of the overall path. Sure, so, so let's back up a little bit. So you were, you were in Louisville and you mentioned that, that you, went, you were looking for jobs in DC. Had you already moved to DC or you were looking for a job so you could move to DC? Um, so that's a long story. So. Um, actually, after um, after Kentucky, I ended up moving to San Diego and working there um, for a feature of research, actually doing fundraising for them, which was another interesting experience. Um, and then I think, um, and that actually gave me, interestingly enough, a lot of connections to UC campuses because we ended up going to um, you know, different campuses to talk about the postdoc salary work that we did. And so that actually gave me, I guess, the connections to California that were really useful actually for my current position. So I think it was just sort of by luck. Um, but at the same time, San Diego wasn't really the place for me to do the federal policy that I was becoming interested in and was sort of the obvious next choice. Um, and so I, yeah, basically applied for, um, positions to DC and then moved here. So I moved here and that was, um, I'll say it was a risky move for sure. Move cross country for a six months fellowship, not knowing what would happen after, uh, but it worked out. Do you interact with other university uh, policy or research policy liaisons? Or? Um, I have, so I guess I should say that um, I've been in this job for only about a month and a half. Um, we have had interactions with some um, associations like AAU, APLU, 
um, as well as other government relations offices. Um, so we have a lot of calls with different groups um, and we've actually recently gone to the BU office um, where we're talking about um, looking at how to celebrate the, so next year is the 70th anniversary of the National Science Foundation. So a lot of universities want to showcase uh, NSF-funded research on their campus. And so there's a lot of discussions about how do we do that sort of in our, our campus, but also uh, within the area as well. So um, part of the job is interacting with other government relations offices, but there are also other, um, other associations and other groups that we interact with by the virtue of sort of being in DC and you know federally um, focused to a lot of federal agencies or funding agencies. Right. Yeah. I I, I just thought I would ask because I know of certainly of uh, Indiana University's uh, liaison, uh, legislative liaison Douglasitis there, and just wondering how often different universities will work together. It sounds like you are. When you said BU, do you mean Boston University? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, talk about the things that, that you do in your job um, in terms of, because you're, you're new, as you said, in, in the position. Uh, it's just, and you know, we're talking just as your career path, not necessarily, you know, <laughs> you're not speaking for the University of California, you're speaking for, for Adriana Bankston. But in, in terms of what your, your typical day is like, do you have a typical day? I mean, even though you've only been in it for a little bit, do you have, do you have a typical day? Um, definitely not. Um, I, so I will say that there's a lot of calls and meetings about specific issues. Um, so I mentioned that the NSF anniversary, um, there are some um, some things that we do relate to bringing UC researchers to DC, um, and that involves different events that, um, depending on what the issues are, we try to do events on the Hill and invite um, researchers from UC campuses to DC. Um, but then we also keep track of essentially what the federal agencies do, uh, such as the NIH, NSF, and um, have in my short time here so far, um, I've been essentially going to different meetings that are happening um, at these agencies, mostly NSF, to try and understand what their sort of next vision is for the next five, 10 years or so. And the whole idea is to then summarize this um, federal directions to the UC campuses and say, you know, this is what's coming up, be ready. and. Uh, we're trying to be sort of at the forefront of this so that campuses will be ready when opportunities arise. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of different um, meetings and calls related to different issues. It's, it's hard to describe because I work under the, in the research portfolio. Um, so there's a lot of issues that affect research in terms of um, not just, you know, how you do the actual research, like reproducibility and things like that. Um, but also safety, ethics, um, i trying to think. Uh, because of my background, also there are um, things related to animal research because I used to work, work with mice uh, in the lab. And so I'm the only one here who has a research background, I think. Um, and so that's useful in terms of, um, you know, how do, how do researchers think about, um, you know, connecting to the policy, but also from our perspective, um, you know, how, 
do we kind of engage them in different activities that we have? So we also have um, sort of an advocacy and communication arm where we're trying to engage sort of the younger um, scientists on UC campuses. We also have sort of a more medical section um, and sort of the whole sort of higher education as well. Um, and part of that, um, it involves also looking at bills and, you know, when, when new, new bills are coming out um, and now starting next week will be the appropriation season and what kind of funding is allocated to um, NIH and NSF that will then fund biomedical research. So there's a lot of different aspects um, to this job. And I think by the virtue of being in this position, sort of there's intersections with other research groups and higher education uh, associations, as well as government relations offices. So it's, it's so far, it's been a really interesting experience. I'm, I'm sure you're drinking out of a fire hose with all the meetings that, that you have. But how, have you been, uh, I guess, in, in attendance to, at the uh, Federal Demonstration Partnership yet? Have you done, does your office do any, uh, participate in, in their meetings? Think so can you elaborate on that? Sure. What do you mean? So I, I used to represent Indiana University here, so I know a little bit about it. So the Federal Demonstration Partnership is a collection of, of, of research institutions and uh, funding agencies, federal funding agencies that uh, work together to try to reduce the amount of administrative burden in grants and contracts. And they talk about a lot of things that you were talking about. They talk about animal research, they talk about human subjects, they talk about funding. You, sometimes you have somebody from the uh, Office of the uh, of Scientific Interest in the White House, they have people there. And you have research folks from institutions, you have grants people from institutions going there, and they meet with NSF, NIH folks, Navy, who then, like the Navy folks who are negotiating um, the Indra costs, for example, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty good meeting. They, it's, it's almost like being on study section, meet like three times a year in DC. So that's, that might be something you want to put on your radar uh, and okay. see if, yeah, see if anybody goes there. I've been to yet, um, but there's, there has been more discussion now about administrative burden and sort of at the OSCP level, which is also fascinating to think about, um, you know, how does the science advisor think about, you know, the research system and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that is a discussion ongoing, but I haven't seen any meetings around it. Yeah, there, there was a task force, I was on the task force for the FTP where we had a survey of researchers and, and where we're trying to get at the, the sense of administrative burden. And it's uh, pretty high, amazingly high. So those are the things that I think the funding agencies want to hear about. And certainly our, 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 the, the powers that be in our institutions, our, our deans, provosts, presidents, they want to hear about that as well because it impacts their faculty. So they're very interested in, in understanding that. Yeah, that is, that is definitely an ongoing conversation in DC right now. Yeah. So let's let's get back to your your career path. So you're you're in DC, and that's probably a really really ideal place to be, where you get to interact with a lot of folks there. So you were in the you didn't I guess a uh, some some time in the 
Society for Neuroscience where you met Sylvie and you had lots of opportunities there. How do you meet up with folks? Let's say some, somebody who's, who's tuning in right now, listening to our conversation, and they don't know much about science policy at all, even though I think as we sit here, it's probably one of the hottest areas in biomedical science right now. So how, how would people go about even maybe contacting people about even doing cold phone calls to find out how'd you get to where you're at and how might I learn more about these types of things? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, so DC is a very, I guess, interactive city. Everything happens over coffee. Um, so you, you really have to, uh, I think you have to use the context that you have. So obviously being at SFN, um, they have a lot of um, connections with other groups and they're part of coalitions. And so, you know, just asking your supervisor who they know in different areas that you're interested in. Um, in my case, I think um, it sort of started already when I was a postdoc because having gotten um, involved with all these national organizations, so for example, the National Postdoc Association, if you're interested in those issues, everyone who works in that goes to that meeting. Um, so I think going to meetings for different, different uh, associations has been helpful for growing my network. I think that's how I started. Um, Honestly, just going way back to when I was a postdoc and trying to figure out what to do, I took the my IDP and then science policy was number one, and I honestly didn't know what it was. Um, so I ended up I did a lot of um, informational interviews with people that I met at NPA. I think um, just calling them and saying, you know, can you talk to me for thirty minutes about what you do? And most people will say yes, and that sort of grew. You know, I think that's a good way to grow your network because if you talk to somebody and you say, you know, you understand what they're doing, but then you can ask them, do you know somebody else who does that? And that sort of grows. And I think if you're, you know, stay in a specific community, you start to get to know the people because the same people will go to the same meeting every year, things like that. Um, so part of that was happening also in DC. Um, in terms of um, SFN providing opportunities to connect with people through meetings um, and different events. And then um, there's also a lot of happy hours. You know, there's a lot of different groups that do advocacy kind of on the ground that you can get involved with. And I'm sort of looking, still looking for that to do a little more outreach um, sort of around the city. But DC, there's a lot of different groups that you can join and get involved with, depending on what your interests are. But also, obviously, the place where you work probably has connections that can help you get started. And, now, let's go back for a sec, because you mentioned IDP, the in Individual uh, Develop uh, Development Plan. So there are several out there. I think probably the most common one is the AAAS's My IDP. How do you, you said that really helped you find the, or discover that you have an interest in policy. Now, not every place, every institution has requirements for IDP or, or opportunities. What would you suggest to folks who don't have those conversations at their institution, whether they're graduate students or postdocs, and where they can find out about uh, an IDP and maybe to learn more about themselves that way? 
Yeah, the IDP was really useful, I think, just to figure figure out what my interests were. Um, we So at UofL, you're required to talk to your mentor once a year and go through the IDP, um, which is really good. Um, another resource, and this is, I think anybody can go online and take it, um, but, um, you know, and you can talk to your mentor. I think the other thing that helped me is looking for people who are not in research uh, because um, obviously with my interest in sort of institutional policy, I went actually and talked to the associate dean for graduate school and postdoctoral studies because I was considering sort of going down that route at some point and asked him about his career. So that was another resource. Um, but also, you know, so obviously that's one um, good source of advice is trying to find mentors who are not your PI who might be able to help you and they're likely in a different office, right? So universities have a lot of offices and obviously government relations is one thing that you can, you know, go and volunteer or talk to those people and ask them what they do. Um, that's definitely a good resource if you're an at an institution and trying to figure out what other things you could be doing. Um, at the same time, um, I think that was sort of the initial step because I, once I realized that there wasn't really anybody at the institution who knew a whole lot about science policy. And so those contacts came from those national meetings that I went to and then uh, was able to meet people that way. But another, um, another resource I think that's been really helpful is, has actually been scientific societies. Um, so I didn't mention this in the beginning, but um, the American Society for Cell Biology has a committee for early career scientists that I got involved with, um, sort of, I think, while I was a postdoc. And um, that provides another network, and societies a lot of times have resources that institutions don't offer, and SFN does as well. So that's another sort of avenue to go and um, gain some leadership experience in a society, but also get resources that your institution doesn't have. I think that's really important in particular because everybody, almost everybody goes to scientific meetings. And I, I guess as I think about this right now, or let's say somebody's in a small lab and they don't have the resources to be able to go to a meeting. How might folks maybe reach out to scientific societies? Because you'd be a member if you don't, even if you don't go to the meetings, obviously, but uh, would you recommend that they maybe they just find out through the offices there? They can make phone calls and do Skype uh, interviews and things like that. Yeah, I think a lot of times, so um, some, I think some institutions can help you pay for the membership. And also you can apply, apply for travel awards. I've done a, a couple of those. Um, definitely, I think you can use your research expertise for that because on, when I first started going to um, ASCB meetings, it was to present my research that I was doing in the lab, but at the same time I started going to the professional development sessions that they had. So I think that's a really important way to start growing that network and think about your career while you're at the meeting presenting your research, you can also do other things and meet people who can help you career-wise because that's a really good society for um, these kinds of resources. People are gonna be asking themselves, all right, you're in a position where you're representing a university and things, but on, on your day-to-day -day work, how are you using your, your PhD training 
to help you be more effective at what you do? I think I learned a lot of skills in my PhD that I use now that I didn't realize. Um, and part of that is honestly just being lucky to have a really good mentor who was really organized and um, sort of, you know, learned, taught us project management, which is essentially what I do now. I have a lot of sort of policy related projects, but what I'm doing is sort of the same thing as keeping track of um, a lot of different projects and deadlines on a daily basis, um, just being sort of organized and diligent and knowing when the calls are coming up or when you have to go to the hill and dressing up and all of that. So kind of professionalism. Um, in terms of that, um, and in addition, I think it's um, obviously this position is now I would now work under the director of research. And so my research background is critical for that. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I got hired because they wanted a scientist who could understand the science and the policy uh, and just being in this sort of intersection to really understand what's going on in the institution and also what's going on federally. It's a really interesting space to work in. Now, it's, that, that's really very, a very helpful answer, I, I think, for folks to understand that, yeah, your, your background, you use your background because you work under the, under the research office, but that was why you're hired. But you also had some policy background under your belt, which just was like the perfect ex, uh, background and experience for them to just like suck, suck you up into their group and say, all right, now, we're, now we can really move forward to, to help the university move forward. So, okay. So I, as you know, I ask folks uh, at the end if there's a question I, I should have asked that I didn't ask. And in our interactions, I thought which some <laughs> answer that, that you had was wonderful. So, all right, which movie did you see recently? And what kind of impact did it have on you? Yeah, so um, I saw Rocket Man, uh, which is the story of Elton John and sort of his childhood, how he grew up and how he became famous and what he dealt with while he was famous. Um, it's a fascinating story. I, I think that um, I'm very attracted to these kinds of model, sort of role models who are people that are slightly different or have done something different in their lives. Um, that is not conventional, but they really made something out of themselves and they will sort of leave an impact that way because they were able to do something that is, um, you know, out of the ordinary. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the movies that just stays with you. And it's interesting to see the evolution, but also, um, you know, the sort of what goes on in the background, which you don't always know, obviously, for celebrities but it's also somebody that um, has made an impact in the world, you know, with his music and being sort of unconventional type. Um, that's definitely, that's something that I, I've learned, I think makes an impact on me sort of generally. I've realized that I'm kind of attracted to, um, you know, not sort of the, the typical nine to five, but somebody who's really done something impactful in their life and, you know, can, um, leave that behind, sort of. Uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I think in many ways it ties into, in a way, what we're talking about today, which is, well, the, the you said out of the ordinary. Well, the people would think the ordinary for somebody with a PhD is to go into academia. 
but out of the ordinary is do something else, which the vast majority of PhD holders do. So maybe being academia in some respects is out of the ordinary. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a, a great topic to, to end on. And so thank you, Adrian. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Adriana Bankston, for sharing the steps she took in her career path going from bench scientist to advocating for university research at the federal level. I also thank all of you for joining us on this podcast today. Remember, you can find us on the Indiana University School of Medicine's website, SoundCloud, and on Apple Podcasts under IUSM Pathways. Also, in addition to the audio from our broadcasts, for some of our interviews, we've captured the video as well. Those can be seen on the IUSM Pathways YouTube channel. Join us next time as we explore the career path of another professional who holds a PhD in the sciences, which landed them in their current and very exciting position. I'm Randy Brutkowitz. The theme music for Pathways, Supernova, was composed by Aaron Brutkowitz. Pathways is a production of the Indiana University School of Medicine. <laughs>